Aging Matters is brought to you in part by Kathy Corridan, Senior Real Estate Specialist. Kathy is a realtor with KW Metro Center in Alexandria and works with seniors in Alexandria, Arlington, and D.C. to make selling their home and moving less stressful and more successful. More information is available at 703-971-7237 or ccatkw at gmail.com. Good afternoon and welcome to Aging Matters on Arlington Independent Media's community radio station, WERALP Arlington, 96.7 FM. I'm Cheryl Beversdorf, your host. Hospitalists practice what is known as hospital medicine, which is a medical specialty centered on the care of acutely ill hospitalized patients. Hospitalists work together with hospital team members on all care decisions, starting with admission and continuing throughout the patient's hospital stay. Today, my guest is Dr. Peter Karaki, a hospitalist with the Virginia Hospital Center Physician Group. He's going to talk about the role of hospitalists and how they interact with other team members and family members to provide care for hospitalized patients. He'll also discuss the issues a hospitalist must consider when providing care for hospitalized older adults. So welcome, Dr. Karaki, and thank you for joining me today. Hello, Cheryl. Uh, Thank you for having me on your program. Okay, well, I always like to start with kind of the 1,000 or 10,000-foot level. So give us a little bit of an overview. What is meant by hospital medicine, and how and why and when did this specialty get established? You did an incredible job of, 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 of sort of setting me up here. I mean, it, you know, hospital medicine really is, is very simple. It's a medical specialty that, that essentially involves the management of hospitalized patients. Um, a physician practitioner is, is, is simply called a hospitalist. Uh, I think a, a good way to think of, of hospital medicine is, is similar to Emergency medicine, someone who is an emergency medicine physician works in the emergency room, whereas someone who does hospital medicine works in the hospital. It's a location-based uh, specialty, whereas a cardiologist is an organ-based specialist who specializes in the heart. And so tell me a little bit more, was there some kind of uh, conditions or circumstances that got this specialty established? Uh, where where did it start? And um what would you tell us? So sort of according to the hospitalist lore, the, the hospitalist evolved over the past 30 or 40 years on, on the West Coast. Uh, the term hospitalist was, was first coined in 1996 in an article in New England Journal of Medicine by uh, Dr. Wachter and Dr. Goldman, who were both at the University of California, San Francisco. Uh, you'd have these outpatient physicians who would spend more and more of their time working in an inpatient hospital setting. Uh, you might have a patient who didn't have insurance, and, and, and so when they're in the hospital, they didn't really have a primary care physician to turn to, so someone would take care of this patient for a week 
and, and then maybe try to transition them to an outpatient primary care setting. Uh, and it also was happens simultaneously with the managed medical systems on the West Coast, such as Kaiser. You know, say you have a, a patient who lives in, in Oakland and, and sees a, a Kaiser primary care clinic in Oakland, but they're hospitalized in San Francisco um, at a Kaiser hospital. I mean, did it make sense to have his primary care physician drive, you know, 45 minutes a day in traffic to San Francisco from Oakland? Or, you know, does it make sense just to have someone on site in, in San Francisco in the hospital who was able to manage this person? Um, in the hospital, if they had an emergency, the person was actually who was managing was in the hospital would be able to see them very quickly, um, and they could help sort of decrease the length of, of the patient's hospital stay through more efficient management of the patient while they're hospitalized. Uh, in the shorter time that the more time they will save this sorry this patient in the hospital, sort of the less the likelihood of having something like a fall or or a healthcare associated infection. Um, so that's sort of how it all began. Okay, so now we're we're imagining we're in the hospital setting, and oftentimes people come to the hospital through the emergency room, and help us understand uh, again what the hospitalist does or is going to do with this patient, and how that differs from, say, what an emergency room doctor does. What what's the difference? Um, an emergency room is open 24 hours a day. So emergency room physician might take care of someone who is coming in for an ankle sprain versus someone who's coming in for pneumonia. Uh, someone with an ankle sprain, they might you know, wrap their, their ankle up and, and have the patient follow up with the primary care doctor, or if it's a really bad ankle sprain with an orthopedist a couple of days after they leave the emergency room. Whereas when the emergency room physician sees someone with a pneumonia, you know, some people are able to go home from the emergency department with pneumonia, but but say the patient required oxygen, then the emergency room physician would call the hospitalist who's on call uh, for the emergency room, and, and the emergency room physician you know would then have the hospitalist come down and see the patient, and they would ultimately be their care would be transitioned to the hospitalist service who would who would manage the patient you know, the rest of their hospital stay uh, by providing antibiotics, providing oxygen, and and you know everything that necessary to, to you know, um, uh, transition the patient from the hospital at that point in time to, to aftercare at home uh, once they leave the hospital. So what I'm hearing you say is, is that for the emergency room doctor, the patients are usually the people as long as they're limited to the emergency room, whereas the hospitalist then could see any patient probably who not only needs certain kind of care, but ultimately is admitted to the hospital. Would you agree? Yes, Mm ma'am. Okay. The thing that I really want to understand then is, gosh, if every patient uh, in that's admitted to the hospital uh, certainly would have different kinds of of, um, conditions, health conditions, medical conditions, diagnosis, are hospitalists trained in different medical specialties? And if so, what are they? Talk a little bit about your education, your training, your certification. What exactly is involved in becoming a hospitalist insofar as, you know, your training? Sure. Most hospitalists undergo residency training in general internal medicine, pediatrics, or family medicine, uh, I trained in internal medicine, for instance. Uh, my rec- training requirements were a four years of a bachelor's degree, followed by four years of medical school, 
And then while I was in medical school and residency, I did uh, four four tests through the United States Medical Licensing Examination Board. Um, And then afterwards, uh, I had three years of residency, uh, and I am board certified in the American Board of Internal Medicine. so, so it's it's essentially about eleven years of training to get where I am. And did you already know when you were in medical school that you were going to be a hospitalist? I'm just curious: is is hospital medicine now a uh, a realm that or a, a particular area that you can uh, uh, pursue? I think it was really once I was was out of medical school into my internal medicine residency. I enjoyed being in the hospital and I enjoyed sort of dealing with, with patients that had more acute care issues than, than someone in an outpatient setting, which is, is typically involves more of the management of chronic medical issues. Okay. So the other thing that I'm curious about is that many of the patients who come into the hospital are older adults, which is why we want to hear about this uh, and why you're here on, on Aging Matters. Are hospitalists educated in the basics of geriatric care? Yes, ma'am. When we're residents in internal medicine, we typically spend one or two months uh, doing a geriatric rotation. Uh, And then a lot of our training, the practical training really comes through experience. The majority of the patients who are hospitalized across the country are are above the age of 65. So... Are there actually geriatric hospitalists? I mean, can you actually say that the only uh, patients that you would see would be older adults, or it's just that you have some training in that as well as some of those other specialties that you talked about? There are hospitals across the country that that have specific training in in geriatric medicine. Have maybe done a geriatric fellowship, uh, and, and there are certain hospitals that that will actually have a geriatric consult team. Um, but, but for the most part, most of the hospitals, and I think that just as a part of our, our, our training is sort of the expectation of, of, of our training, you know, we should be comfortable, uh, handling sort of the specific, uh, uh, issues that are faced by elderly patients. One of the things that I, I, as I was preparing these questions, I did note that even though you're called a hospitalist, I understand that hospitalists actually work in settings outside the hospital. Is is that true? And if so, what are some of those? Give us some examples. Sure. Uh, across the country, in, particularly in, in in areas that 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 you may have a lot of uninsured patients, uh, there's sort of a trend in in, in hospital medicine uh, for for the the hospital groups to have uh, outpatient uh, clinics that that sort of specialize in and, and post-hospitalization follow-up visits, you know, maybe one or two visits with, with the hospitalist who, who took care of a, the patient while they were hospitalized. Um, and then there's also sort of a trend uh, towards uh, having some of the hospitalists do rounds in, in, in nursing homes uh, just to sort of, you know, have the continuity of care. You know, someone was, was in, in your hospital for a week and then they were, they were transitioned to a nursing facility uh, you know, the hospitals who took care of them in the hospital might see them a couple times in the nursing facility just to kind of make sure that they're doing well and they're, they're transitioning okay uh, from the inpatient to outpatient setting. Okay. And 
I just, because uh, I think people sometimes don't understand that. Do hospitals actually have office hours uh, or, or are they a part of any kind of individual or group practice? What would you tell us? For the most part, you know, we, there's, there's, we have access you know, at all times to, to the patient's family members or, or, or their healthcare providers. But you know, a typical hospice office is, is, is really just a, a cubby where you have a place to hang up your jacket uh, and, and a computer and, and a phone to, to call either a consultant or call a family member. Uh, but, but we typically don't have any special area in our office that with, with like an exam room or anything along those lines. You know, we really do, for the most part, focus on, on, on uh, management of a patient while they're hospitalized. All right. Well, you are at Virginia Hospital Center. Tell us how many hospitalists does Virginia Hospital Center employ? And is that about right? Is that uh, more than most hospitals have in terms of the number of hospitalists? Help our, our listeners understand, you know, how many hospitalists they're talking about within a, a hospital setting. And then I guess it would be helpful to understand if I get admitted as a, a, a patient, is do do you as a hospitalist get assigned to me, or how does that work in terms of how uh, a hospitalist sees the particular patients that are admitted to to the hospital? Sure, sure. We are technically a mid-sized hospital across the country, and and boy, I'll tell you, if if you if, you know we're we're both uh, sort of regular insurance, and we also have a Kaiser branch as well too. I I, I imagine that if you include our, our, the number of hospitals in our group and in the Kaiser group, you're probably looking at, at, at close to maybe 50 hospitalists that, that are, are employed by the hospital. And, and, and some of them may maybe just there for in a part-time setting. Um, typically in our hospital and across the country, they shoot to have uh, 13 to 17 patients uh, per hospitalist uh, with the hope being that it's the average is around 14 it, the 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 way that 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 the hospitals typically work is that a hospitalist will 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 admit a patient through the emergency department or as a direct admission through a primary care physician, um, and most most groups will have you know one one person who's who specializes in doing the admissions. So you might see this this particular physician on the first day of your hospitalization, and then the next day you would go to the primary hospitalist service. Um, with a, with a physician who would take care of you for the most part while you're hospitalized, um, most most hospitalist groups will work seven days on, seven days off. Um, for instance, you know I, I work from Saturday through Friday. So if, if someone is admitted on a Friday night, I would pick that person up on Saturday morning, and then I would be with this particular patient up to seven days. Uh, uh, so that's probably the best way to sort of think of 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 of, of the hospitalist system. And for any one patient then, uh, Dr. Karaki, are you the only hospitalist that sees that person then throughout uh, his or her hospitalization? Typically, but if someone was admitted on, I don't know, say a Wednesday, and they were, they were in the hospital beyond Friday when we switch over, then then the next, my next partner would pick up that patient beginning Saturday, and, and that patient would stay with my partner um, up to seven days, then depending on the length of hospitalization. 
Okay. And hospitals are at the hospital then 24-7. Is that correct? Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. We, we, uh, your primary team is typically there for 12 hours a day. And then at night, uh, you might have a couple physicians or uh, physician extenders like a nurse practitioner or a physician assistant who would be there uh, tip, you know, typically just to, just to manage any inpatient issues with, with the patients who are already hospitalized. You know, if something, it could be something as simple as, as, you know, I, I'm having trouble falling asleep. You know, could you write me for some type of sleeping medication like melatonin or, you know, could it be, you know, that, you know, you can't be admitted with pneumonia, but your oxygen requirements are now a lot higher and, and, and there's a possibility that, that you have to go to the intensive care unit. So my partner would come and assess you in the middle of the night to see if, if they needed to call the, the uh, intensive care unit or, or, you know, do some type of other intervention. Okay. One thing that I was was curious about was, uh, I, and again, I was reading about hospitalists as I was preparing questions, and the there was a statement about that hospitalists may be more um, or have more people skills like empathy, compassion, interpersonal abilities. Uh, than non-hospitalists. What what would you say about that statement? Do you think that's true? Uh, how would you assess that in terms of your own uh, attitudes, or perhaps why you decided to be a hospitalist? I'd like to say that 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 we we have the best people skills, but but that's probably very biased. But um, I, I think in particular, you know, in the past ten to fifteen years, there's really been a big focus in medical school in general. Uh, to, to encourage sort of empathy, compassion, and interpersonal abilities. Uh, in med school, you know, students now, they, they, they train with standardized patients all throughout med school. And then one of the four big general medicine certification boards focuses specifically on interviewing a standardized patient. Um, as a hospitalist, it's true for our practice, and I think it's probably very true across the country. Every couple of years, we do a, we'll do specialized training on, on, on improving communication. And, and I think that, you know, as we improve our communication, that, that goes hand in hand with, with, with improving our, our people skills. So, so we're definitely, we're, you know, we're definitely a, a group where, you know, you have to have good people skills because, you, you know, you, you don't just interact with the patients every day, but, but, you know, you interact with, with their family members and, and, and their providers. And so really, it really helps uh, to have good people skills in, in our field. I'm also wondering, it occurred to me, since you talked about Kaiser and different hospitals around the country, is the hospitalist then also covered under uh, an insurance plan? I mean, I'm thinking for older adults, it would probably be Medicare, but since hospitalists are a specific uh, medical specialty, then the services that the hospitalists provide would also be covered under insurance. Is that true, or is it part of the, the Part A of Medicare? Uh, can you explain a little bit more in terms of insurance coverage? Yes, ma'am. We, uh, hospitals are, 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 are covered under, in most cases, if not all insurances in a local area, certainly the majority of insurances. Uh, and, and I think that, that it's, 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 Typically, we, we fall under under the umbrella of, of a hospital, and, and and most hospitals, at least, you know where we're located, you know, do their best to certainly offer offer uh, um, uh, uh, you know, 
the ability for for offer offer access to 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 as many insurances as possible. Um, in our in our case, you know, we're we're uh, we we use you know we'll have patients that will have Virginia Medicaid, uh, for instance. But but I think it's important that 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 you know the hospital actually you know reaches out to other states that have Medicaid and 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 to you know work to be with these states to be a partner for Medicaid as well. Um, um, you know, so really that you know we do our best to 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 you know to have as much allow as much access to to insurance as possible. Because uh, you know as you as as you can imagine, and, and as most people really know, I mean hospital hospitals are very expensive. They are indeed, and that's why again since. Perhaps listeners don't know as much about hospitalists. They may not know whether, well, gee, is this going to be covered? Is this hospitalist who comes to see me, uh, uh, am I going to have to pay for this out of my own pocket, or is it covered by insurance? So I wanted to move to you actually admitting a patient. Are you there right from the start? As soon as the patient, say, from the admissions office gets taken up to the room in the hospital, are you there right away? And given the fact that you may never have met this person before, most likely you haven't, how do you get to know that person? Do you have to do a, a history and physical? Do you read records first? Kind of what is your process then and you and other hospitalists insofar as getting to know this patient, which you are going to be seeing throughout that person's hospital stay? What, what's the process? So typically, we'll be called by either the emergency room physician or by the primary care physician if it's a direct admission to the hospital, uh, and you know we'll we'll hear the the patient's uh, medical story uh, in terms of their, their kind of their chronic medical issues as well as if, you know, if they have them as well as, as what what is bringing them them to the hospital. Uh, you know, we'll then review the records. We'll, we'll take a look at at their prior records. We'll look at at the uh, the records from the hospitalization, particularly the emergency room, if they've done the chest X-ray, if they've done lab work, you know, we'll read the history that that the uh, emergency room physician has written, um, and then we'll come and we'll see the patient. Uh, we'll typically interview them for fifteen to twenty minutes, and and if the family's with with them, uh, you know, we'll get we'll get a little bit of the history from the family. If if they're not present, then oftentimes we'll we'll call the family. You know, after we see the patient, um, we'll do a physical exam. Uh, we will offer our own assessment of the situation. You know, do they need an MRI? Uh, do they need further lab work? Um, are they there for an infection that requires a specific antibiotic? Um, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, after we sort of do our our, our um, assessment of the patient, then then we'll, we'll write further orders, and and then we're essentially there for that patient you know, for as, as long as you know, you know, I'm you know on shift in the hospital. Uh, 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 you know, whether it be that day or, or, or the rest of that week, you know, that, that, that patient will, will be, uh, I'll be responsible for that patient. Okay. Well, we're going to take a short break right now. Um, for those people who might have tuned in late, we are talking with Dr. Peter Karaki, a hospitalist with the Virginia Hospital Center Physician Group. And you're listening to WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. We'll be right back. Aging Matters is sponsored in part by the Aging Life Care Association, an organization of aging life care professionals. Aging life care professionals offer guidance, advocacy, and support for older adults and their families in order to maximize quality of life. 
An aging life care professional can be there for your loved one when you can't be. More information about the Aging Life Care Association is available at www.midatlanticalca.org. Welcome back. We are talking with Dr. Peter Karaki, a hospitalist with the Virginia Hospital Center Physician Group. And we had just gotten started before the break about what happens after a patient is admitted. So Dr. Karaki, I'm trying to get a sense now. So we have a patient who's in the hospital uh, uh, and maybe it's going to be there three or four or five days, depending on what the diagnosis is. How often do you as a hospitalist see the patient? Is it once just in the morning or several times in the day? What's the usual process for seeing the patient? We typically see our patients at least once a day, uh, sometimes two or three times a day, depending on how busy we may be or, or just sort of given the situational setting. If, if, if the patient had an important MRI done during the day, we may come back and go over the results with them. Sometimes if, if I don't have a chance to come back up later in the day, I, I might call them in their room and, and just to check in to see how their day is, has gone. Uh, or, or maybe give an update on on a, a lab value or what have you that was that's been sorry, that we've been waiting for. Okay, and will you then? Because I just want to reaffirm this so people understand. So throughout that hospital stay, for the most part, it'll be you. Once you're assigned to that patient, you will be the the hospitalist that uh, stays with this patient throughout the person's hospital stay. Is that is that correct? Yes, Cheryl. Again, a lot of it depends on on when they come to the hospital, but 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 typically, if it, it's if they come in, you know, early in the week, you know, I'll be with them from the beginning of their stay to the end of the stay. If they come at the very end of my week, it, it, I might just take care of the patient for one day, but then my next partner would, would be with them for up to seven days. Okay. Um, so I think the thing that I would be interested, in, and I'm sure other folks would be too. You've maybe got somebody who's really acutely ill and has not only a primary care physician, they may have other physicians that they've had uh, worked with, uh, depending on what their condition is. Over time, while the patient is there, how do you interact with those other uh, physicians? How do you keep them apprised of how their patient is doing? And do you consult with them? Do you ask them, well, what do you think about this? Because they certainly have known the patient much longer than you have. So describe what that process is for how you interact with not only the primary care physician, other specialty uh, physicians, and maybe other health team members as well. We will reach out to the primary care physician at both the beginning and at the end of the hospitalization uh, with either a phone call uh, or a note, depending on the situation. If it's someone who's a very complicated patient with a lot of medical problems, then, then oftentimes a phone call makes more sense than a note. Uh, but then if, if, if someone has a, uh, some heart disease and they have a cardiologist or they have some kidney disease, they have a nephrologist, uh, we will always reach out uh, to their cardiologist or nephrologist. And, and fortunately, most hospitals have rounding nephrologists and cardiologists. And so it's you know, very common for us to, to have, have you know, 
various uh, medical subspecialties assist in the management of, of, of patients who are hospitalized. And in addition to physicians, then you also say they have a social worker or they have a physical therapist. Are you also the primary manager that that oversees the activities that these non-physician uh, health providers are in, you know, insofar as how they're working with the, the patient? Do you, are you involved with them as well? Yes, Cheryl. We'll, we'll, we'll talk to the case manager or social worker uh, for each patient uh, every day. And if, if someone has some, any degree of, of, of debility, uh, uh, we'll have a physical or occupational therapist or, or, or both uh, come see the patient and they'll give us their assessment of, of the, the patient and you know, what would be required to, 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 you know, at discharge uh, to ensure that they have a safe transition uh, outside of the hospital. Okay. And I'd like to transition a little bit more now to older adults. This is aging matters. And I'm wondering, certainly as a hospitalist, you see patients of all ages. And I'm wondering if as part of your training and in your actual experience, you mentally and really adapt a sort of a different model of care for older adult patients than, say, younger patients? What's your approach when you see somebody maybe who's in their 80s or 90s and has many more health conditions, say, than a younger patient who is in his or her 20s or 30s or 40s? What, what, how do you assess the care? I think a, a big part of, of managing for an older adult is, is right off the bat, you tend to put aside more time uh, to analyze the situation, particularly if they have a lot of medical problems. Uh, and then when you're making medication choices and when you're assessing the patient, you're very mindful that, that they're at a, at a high risk for certain complications such as delirium or polypharmacy or falls in the hospital. Uh, and then I think the third thing that we, we really consider in, in, in older adults are communication with their family or their caregivers. Um, oftentimes that's, you know, as important, if not even more important than, than managing their medical problems. Uh, it's, it's versus someone who's, who's younger and, and is maybe more independent as a person. What I'm hearing you say then is, is that you really have to focus on the patient as a whole, rather than just on one disease. Is that true? Yes, Cheryl. As, as patients get older, oftentimes you focus on, on, on sort of the surrounding factors, such as their quality of life, um, their social situation, you know, are they, are they in a safe living situation, you know, or would they benefit from say a higher level of care, whether it be help at home versus, you know, consideration of, of an assisted living or a skilled nursing facility. And in the fact that they might have multiple conditions then are and, and multiple health issues, is that more likely then to have more of a interdisciplinary health team approach? Are you more likely then to call on 
a cardiologist uh, if they have a heart condition or someone to talk about their diabetes or if they have uh, arthritis or or what. Explain a little bit more about the process. Maybe you can give us an example of older adult patients and what the what how you proceed in terms of your management of that and how you bring various people in and determine how the care is going to be provided while the person's in the hospital. I'd say probably a very common patient that we might see in the hospital is is someone who maybe has a history of of heart disease with with some type of 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 uh um heart failure uh and they might have some emphysema and 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 as well as diabetes that's 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 caused some chronic kidney disease uh the patient may come to the hospital for uh, we'll say shortness of breath and 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 an emergency room are, are found to is found to require oxygen and who knows we're not sure if the shortness of breath is is from sort of an exacerbation of their or the emphysema or is it, or is it from extra fluid from from heart failure or is it somehow related to their kidneys uh, so it's not that uncommon to have uh, a cardiologist and a nephrologist and a pulmonologist uh, see this patient while they're, they're while they're inpatient, and oftentimes this particular patient might already have these have a cardiologist, a pulmonologist, a nephrologist, an outpatient. But um, you know, the four of us would would kind of take a look at the case and 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 sort of decide what makes sense to optimize uh, you know all of their their different organ systems, and then you know when the patient is ready to to be discharged at home. Uh, you know, we would have them follow up with with the pulmonologist and the cardiologist and the nephrologist, as well as their primary care doctor. You know, over the next month or so, to really have as as, as many eyes uh, on on the patient as as possible. And and um, I, you know, I think that 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 you know, some people may say, "Oh boy, it sounds like there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen," but uh, you know, not really. I think I think it's 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 you know, if someone is very complicated, it's it, it, sometimes it's good to have. You know, more than one set of eyes take a look at the person. You know, particularly as they, as they transition outside of the hospital, then then you know that they ha- they're going to have very safe and solid care uh, when they leave leave the hospital. With the hope being that 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 they're not going to return to the hospital anytime soon, and then they're really able to enjoy their life outside of the hospital. One thing I was thinking about as well, uh, Dr. Karaki, is mm-hmm. the fact that, of course, I have a nursing background, and well, I haven't worked in a hospital in many, many, many years, and I'm sure that the hospital setting is very different now than it was at the time that I was still practicing. I'm curious to know how the hospitalist works with the nursing staff uh, on any on on the on the floor or the nursing personnel or the other non-physician uh, providers, but more specifically, how because nursing care is so important and it's it's much more intense, say, than a hospitalist. What is what is the interaction between you as a hospitalist and the nursing staff um, for any for the patients that you are responsible for? The communication between hospitalists and the nursing staff, I think across the country is 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 excellent. You know, as a whole, in our hospital in particular, you know, ten years ago, we the the most of the communication would be through the pager system. Uh, we still have a pager, but but 
the communication has really evolved over the past years. Um, we now, in the past few years, we have a text messaging system um, that we'll use with the nurses where they can text us a question and we can reply via the text. And, and um, you know, that's really, really been kind of a, a great, a great help. And, and then uh, we also, you know, a lot of, in a lot of places across the country, uh, both the physicians and the nurses will carry uh, kind of like hospital wide mobile phones and, and, um, you know, so, so in particular, if there's, if there's an emergency or if there's something that's very urgent, um, you know, I can reach out to the nurse through their phone or they can re reach out to me um, and, 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 you know, we're basically right there uh, for, for each other. Uh, so I, I really think that, 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 that the communication between the hospitalists and the nursing as a whole is, is, is really, is, is really good. And are you finding, I thought you had said this early, but I just wanted to uh, reconfirm that as you relate to older adults, are you dealing more with some of the uh, conditions that older adults deal with as they get older? I'm thinking of like delirium or cognitive impairment, maybe incontinence or risk for falls. Are you seeing that a lot in your hospitalized older adult patients? We do. I, I, I you know, sometimes when you have an elderly patient uh, admitted to the hospital, what they'll actually come in is for. Uh, some type of some some sort of condition that's causing delirium or, or, or altered mental status. Um, say, for instance, a urinary tract infection. So we do our best to to recognize that they have the urinary tract infection and then put them on on appropriate antibiotics to manage the urinary tract infection. And then you'll find that using a day or two later, they, their their um, cognitive issues uh, impairment begins to resolve. Um, and then while while elderly patients are in the hospital, we really try to do our best to try to avoid you know, using agents uh, that that uh, can cause delirium, such as opioids or benzodiazepines. Um, I mean, sometimes you have to use, I mean, you know, if you have someone who has a hip fracture, for instance, who's elderly, it's kind of hard sometimes to not use a, a low-dose opioid. But but if we, ha if we have to use an opioid in that in that setting, we really try to use it at the, at, at, at the lowest dose possible. Um, and then to prevent falls, a lot of that is, 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 is you know, some of that, some of that is our management, but a lot of it is, 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 is the staff, um, you know they're they're readily available to assist these patients in the bathroom. They need to go to the bathroom, and the bed alarms are in place. And and oftentimes they'll use video monitors uh, in the room if, if if need be. And you've brought up a good uh, topic, which is a nice segue into the prescribing the medications. Um, again, oftentimes you hear about polypharmacy and older adults having lots of medications probably before they're even coming to the hospital. How, how do you handle that? Uh, again, looking at what they're taking already and how you can treat the patient and, and, but be aware of what kind of medications they're on and, and decrease the risks of, of polypharmacy and, and uh, side effects, say, of, of too many medications. How do you handle that? If a patient is on medications as an outpatient that we think are potentially causing side effects, we'll sometimes stop those medications, but we'll also confer with the primary care physician just to make sure we're not stepping on their toes. Um, oftentimes, 
you know, people will, will be on medications for, for years and years and, and, and we can maybe cut back on the dose, for instance. Um, and then a lot of it in the hospital is, is, is really just trying to avoid starting new medications that can have a lot of potential side effects in the elderly. Uh, you know, we, we, if, if someone, a very common complaint is someone who's, who, who is having some insomnia in the hospital. Um, we really try to limit what we use. We, we might use something like melatonin, um, which, which has many fewer side effects than, than, than something like Benadryl, which, which for most people may not cause side effects, but an elderly, sometimes that can cause side effects or, or something like an Ambien, which, which, you know, can have, have a lot of side effects in someone who, who is elderly and has maybe never been on Ambien in the past. Um, we really tried not to experiment with, with medications in the hospitals as much as possible. Another issue that uh, certainly can be very serious and uh, must be uh, uh, difficult, perhaps, or at least something that hospitalists would, would face, uh, is the, the decision of related to life support for an older adult patient. How do you handle that? Do you find out what what their views are or and of the patient himself or herself and their family and what happens if there's a difference of opinion between say the patient and the family what is your role as a hospitalist um, in making those medical decisions about life support so for pretty much anyone who's hospitalized one of the standard questions will be about code status if, if they're someone who would be a full code versus someone who would be a do not resuscitate, do not intubate. Uh, for instance, if, you know, if, if they went into cardiac arrest, if they were do not resuscitate, do not intubate, then the person would, would not want to have, you know, chest compressions and, you know, slash CPR or, or, uh, you know, a breathing tube or, or, uh, um, a defibrillator defibrillation, um, as needed. Um, it's, it's pretty simple when you have, people that that have have pretty specific preferences that that they themselves uh will, will you know, let you know or or if they have advanced care directives that that sort of outline their preferences um when there's sort of more difficult uh, uh situations you know if, if if there's disagreement between family members or, or between the the patient and the family um but typically, it's 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 something that we provide guidance and 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 you know we, we provide a, a listening ear uh, and 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 sort of try to work through the differences with with the, the patient and their family or, or or any family members that 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 might um, be in disagreement with with uh, the decision of the other family members. Um, usually, usually with with sort of some you know patience and conversation and and a lot of listening. I, you know these these issues can be resolved. But I think I hear you saying that you deal with one patient, you've dealt, dealt with one patient. Every case is different. For sure, for sure. I, I think that, that, you know, we look at every, every patient and their family as, 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 you know, individual patient and family. Like we, we, you know, obviously there's, there's across society, like there's, there's generalized thoughts and, and, and ways to evaluate different situations. But, 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 you know, we look at, at each patient as, as a, a unique patient with, with, with their kind of unique, you know, family situation. And, and we, we remain flexible. I think that's important. 
And you mentioned about the, the, the families of older adult patients. I'm thinking also of care partners. Is, is everything, again, or, or the interaction that you have with these individuals, is, do you have kind of a standard procedure, or do you deal uh, with them differently depending on what their circumstances are? Talk a little bit more about what your interactions with, with care partners and families looks like for, for older adult patients. As I mentioned earlier, with older adult patients, I think the communication with the care partners or families is, is, is just as important as the medical management of the patient. Uh, they really, I think, I think you know, reaching out to their care partners, the family, you know, oftentimes a lot of it is, is just sort of listening to, you know, what the thoughts are of, of, of the family or the care partners, you know, they'll kind of give you an idea of, of, of how things are, have been going and, and how, how, how they're doing outside of the hospital and, and um, to really kind of help you decide what, what sort of the best path forward is, you know, in, in each situation. I mean, sometimes it's, 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 you know, pretty cut and dry. Like, like maybe someone's in their sixties or six, sorry, sixties or seventies and they're just in the hospital for pneumonia and, and, you know, they're ambulatory and they, and they, you know, have been doing fine outside of the hospital, but it gets a little more challenging when you have someone who's maybe in their nineties, you know, sometimes we have people in their hundreds. I've taken care of a 106 year old before. I mean, uh, uh, that's where it's becomes a little bit more challenging because it's, it's a little bit, it's, it's, much more difficult for someone who's 106 to recover from a hospitalization than someone who's in their 60s or even 70s. Very challenging to to think about that. And then what I wanted to move to is if, if in the event that the patient is discharged, is it the hospitalist then that writes the discharge orders? How How does it transition, say, back to whoever the patient is going to see outside the hospital, or maybe they still need rehab or whatever. What is, what is your role then when you know that somebody, are you the person, I guess that's my first question, and then as part of that is what's your role? Are you then the person that decides that the patient is ready to go home, and then how do you uh, proceed in, in terms of what will happen to that patient after he or she leaves the hospital? Once, once the, the patient is, is medically cleared to leave the hospital and they have a safe discharge plan in place, we would be the, the, the person that would write the discharge um, order uh, for that particular patient. But the process of, of, of determining this, you know, what, what is, is entailed, you know, what, what, what is in, what uh, is a safe discharge um, plan, you know, that's where, the physical therapist and occupational therapist, um, they'll evaluate the patient and then either the case manager or social worker, uh, will, will be the, will help kind of, you know, be the liaison between the, the PTOT and, and the, and the patient or family. Um, you know, and it could range from a patient going home, uh, you know, with or without uh, home services, such as home PT and OT, uh, tour versus a patient going to a subacute rehab uh, center, which would be like sort of like an assist, or sorry, a nursing home that has um, you know rehabilitation, uh, a rehabilitation wing versus um, just a regular nursing home versus 
an acute rehab center, um, which is typically like a, a rehab center that would be affiliated with a hospital that, that has sort of a higher level of rehabilitation um, uh, versus, you know, in some cases, someone might go home, uh, you know, either with, with hospice or to an inpatient hospice facility. Those are sort of the different uh, different discharge mechanisms, discharge uh, locations that, that we typically work with. And once a patient is discharged, will are you as the hospitalist, are, are, is it likely that you'll ever have any kind of contact with that patient again? Uh, are you ever contacted, say, uh, by the patient's own primary care physician in terms of something that happened in the hospital? Or what, w- what would you tell us about kind of the post-hospital uh, time? As a whole, I... I try to reach out to the primary care physician when the patient is, is discharged from the hospital. Um, sometimes, more often than not, it's a phone call. Sometimes it's just a note, depending on, on the particular primary care physician. Uh, I'll, I'll usually give the patient or family my, my phone number, my direct number uh, for basically the, the, the rest of the time I'm, I'm in the hospital that week. And, and you know, after, after I leave the hospital, uh, say at the end of the week, um, you know, I'll let them know if, if anything comes up, you know, the feel free to, to, to call our office. Um, it, it just depends. I mean, sometimes I'll check in with, with patients that, you know, had very complicated hospital courses and, and, and that, that, you know, you know, that they're, they're going to have, you know, they, they, you know, they had a very large surgery or something and they, and, and you want to just make sure that, that when they get home that their, their pain is adequately treated. Um, you know, sometimes we'll reach out to, uh, a, a patient or family, if 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 there's very important results from like a from some type of biopsy pending, for instance, uh, you know, we'll reach out to them to let them know what the biopsy results uh, are you know, before they follow up with with their primary care physician. Um, uh, but but we try to be as 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 available as possible. Since we're almost out of time, you've given us a lot of information about what a hospitalist does and who he or she is. Are there any best resources that you would recommend to our listeners as to how people can learn even more about hospitalists, especially if they are going to have to go to the hospital and, and exactly what, what the role of the hospitalist is in managing care, especially for older adult patients, but for all patients. Any, any recommendations? I think, I think where I've read the most information for for the sort of the lay person in, in terms of, of of understanding what a hospitalist is 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 the Society of Hospital Medicine has has good resources. Um, every hospital that has a hospitalist group typically will have a website that uh, it will also sort of describe you know what a hospitalist is and 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 it'll kind of give give um, it'll 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 give give uh, descriptions of their picker hospitalists. At the Virginia Hospital Center, we're at www.vhcphysiciangroup.com backslash hospitalist. That has a, it, it defines, you know, what is a hospitalist, and then it, it, it has a profile of, of, of all the different hospitals who work at our hospital. Um, and, and honestly, other thing you can do is, is, is you, if you type in a Google search for what is a hospitalist, um, you know, there's a bunch of different resources that will pop up, including the Mayo Clinic has has a, a web web page that describes what, what a hospitalist is and, and um, we're that's one of our uh, affiliated uh, hospital partners, but um, I think I think as as time goes on, 
and and people are, are accustomed to having friends or family members in the hospital i think that 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 makes our life a little bit easier we're you know we're we're, we're not we're not quite just the the kind of the random medical person that 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 no one's ever heard of before we're, we're starting to become known as 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 you know the, the the primary care provider in the hospital and um you know it's 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 been it's been a fun it's been fun over the past 10 years you know working as a hospitalist sort of watching hospital medicine evolve uh, uh, as a part of it well and that's a good way to close and i'm glad that you did give the uh the website for virginia hospital center where you where you're located and so i want to thank dr peter karaki hospitalist with the virginia hospital center physician group for joining me today if you'd like to learn more about Aging Matters, you can visit our website, which is www.agingmattersonline.com. And once you get to this site, you can access all the Aging Matters radio and TV show content, and also check out the podcast on Apple and Spotify. In fact, this program will be on both Apple and Spotify after uh, the broadcast today. You can even subscribe to an Aging Matters monthly email newsletter. That way you can receive updates about new radio shows and TV episodes. Wanted to mention also that Aging Matters is produced in association with Ink Mouth Media. And to check out and learn more about Ink Mouth Media, you can log on to inkmouthmedia.com. Thank you for listening to Aging Matters today. And remember, age is just a number, not a label. I'll be back again with you next week. Aging Matters on WERA is brought to you in part by Synergy Home Care. Synergy Home Care provides premier in-home care for you or your loved one throughout Northern Virginia, including personal care, homemaker services, companion and memory care, and transportation. Call 703-558-3435 or visit SynergyHomeCare.com for more information. Synergy Home Care will find a care solution to meet your needs.